Thank you, Carl. It is a delight to be with you. I bring you greetings from Trinity Presbyterian Church uh, in Statesboro, Georgia, uh, the first home of William and Judy Castro in these United States of America. You might not know that. I taught William how to drive. <laughs> he can tell you the story. Um, it is a great blessing to be with you and to think uh, for a little bit about uh, what we're doing as a church. It's good for a congregation that's engaged in ministry day in and day out in its local community to stop for a minute, pull back, and sort of take a 35,000-foot view of what they're engaged in and sort of think about where do you fit uh, in the ongoing work of the kingdom of God that's been going on now for more than uh, 2,000 years. It was 2,000 years ago or so when Jesus gave these kingdom parables to his disciples, and they've been passed on uh, from one generation to another throughout the ages, and they are passed on to us as well as we receive God's word. And they help us to think about uh, what we're doing as believers in the body of Christ. How should we think about ourselves and our mission? So I like to think about uh, the local church as a kingdom outpost that's been established by the Lord Jesus Christ. We like to think or say often uh, that we live in Statesboro, Georgia, in the uttermost parts of the earth. Maybe you might like to think of yourselves that way as well. Um, but Jerusalem is a long, long way from here, about 6,000 miles. And the gospel was established in Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria and now has spread far, far away from uh, Jerusalem to these uttermost parts of the earth, the ends of the earth. We are a kingdom outpost of the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ and we carry on his kingdom work. So maybe it's helpful to look at the kingdom parables in that way and to think about them as helping the disciples and helping us as well to think about uh, what we do as kingdom work. So last night we thought about the character of the kingdom and how uh, our Lord Jesus prepared his disciples to realize that the kingdom he was building was not local and parochial in nature, but was worldwide in scope. And that continues to spread. We need to continue to think that way uh, the task is not over. It has not yet been completed. Uh, of the 8 billion people that live on this planet with us, there are yet many more who need to come under the influence of our benevolent King, the Lord Jesus Christ. We've noted also that it is not only worldwide in scope, it is embattled in its progress. It doesn't go forth without opposition. There are tares in this field into which Christ has planted his kingdom son. This morning I want us to think a little bit under these two parables, uh, the one of the mustard seed and the other of the leaven, about the growth of the kingdom. What kind of growth has taken place thus far? How does it grow? And uh, what growth might we expect to take place yet in the future? And how do you play a part in that? as you own some piece of this great mission of our Lord Jesus Christ. I won't bother to read 
uh, the text yet again. Uh, Pastor Robbins just read them from um, Matthew 13, verses 31 to 35. These two parables, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and the kingdom of heaven can be compared uh, to leaven that was placed in three pecks of flour until it was all leavened. So we'll think about that uh, this morning. It was exactly uh, a year ago in October of 2022 when my wife and I uh, boarded a giant ocean liner. It was my first cruise. Never been on one before. Uh, it was the Ligonier uh, cruise to the Holy Land. So we flew to um, Rome and then we the next day boarded this this great ship, it was 1,000 feet long, 128 feet wide, 17 decks, 2,900 passengers, 1,500 crew. It was a floating hotel. Now, by way of contrast, it was the year 1518, uh, just the year after Martin Luther nailed his 95 theses to the door of the church in Wittenberg, Germany, that another ship was about in the Atlantic Ocean. It was only about uh, 70 feet long and 20 feet wide. It was a veritable bobbing cork in the great vast ocean of the Atlantic. And after several months of travel across the Atlantic Ocean, Hernan Cortez arrived in what we now know as the nation of Cuba. And then some years later, he planned his expedition to conquer the Aztec Empire in Mexico. He made the journey uh, partly because he was captivated by some kind of vision, uh, mixed motivations and ambitions were at work. And along with him traveled 11 other ships 600 fighting men, mostly Spaniards, 200 servants, 16 horses, 32 crossbows, 13 muskets, and 14 mobile cannons. He obtained to come along with him a chronicler, someone to write down everything that was happening, to describe all the events, and of course also he had a cadre of priests who accompanied him. The priests were there for what they called El Ministerio de Evangelismo, the Ministry of Evangelism. And there is a museum in Sevilla, Spain, Seville, that you can go today and visit, where there are found all these chronicles of these men who wrote down everything that was happening in Cortez's journeys and how they encountered the Mayans and the Aztecs and uh, what happened as they presented to them uh, the Roman Catholic uh, perspective on the gospel. There is a museum, El Ministerio, El Museo del Ministerio del Evangelismo. Now the peoples he met on his journey were not primitive people. They were somewhat sophisticated. Clearly the Incans were not. They had very sophisticated ways of agricultural endeavor and they had roads um, and all kinds of ways of communication. They were not primitive people, but they were pagan, very much so. One of the chroniclers wrote about 
uh, the Aztecs, as he observed um, them before him, he said that Tatani, the great speaker of the Aztecs, sits on a richly carved stool while black-clad priests move across the floor. Their dreadlocked hair matted with blood, their fingernails dirty and uncut, the flesh of their earlobes lacerated by the daily bloodlettings, a smoldering brazier flares with incense, the aromatic wood bark masking the cloying smell of death in the house of snakes. And he tells about five messengers who had an encounter with uh, Cortez and his Spaniard accompanied uh, troops. And they come back to report. It says five messengers come forward, travel stained from the road. They had hurried from the coast with the news of the arrival of the Spaniards from across the sea. But before they speak, they must be purified with the blood of the sacrifice. For they had gone into great danger. They had looked into the very faces of gods. So first, naked prisoners are brought from their cages, already drowsy from the hallucinogenic mushrooms, which will dull the pain of the sweet obsidian death. They are cowered they are covered from head to toe with chalk. Then one by one they are stretched on their backs on the altar. Their hearts are cut out with obsidian blades. The messengers with their blood, only now may they speak of the wonders they have seen. Now Cortez and his priest and others uh, were aghast at what they witnessed and they were opposed to what appeared to them to be consummate barbarism. So what did Cortez have to offer them? Hammond Innes, in his helpful work on the conquistadors, writes, he ordered them to abandon their idols this again was policy as much as proselytizing since the destruction of these symbols of their inherited faith struck at the roots of their confidence. He showed them a picture of the virgin and child and in absolute submission they asked for it to be given to them to keep. Next day, the town was renamed Santa Maria de la Victoria. The cross set up and the expedition's chaplain said mass before all the important people of the town and then baptized them. One wonders at this so-called ministry of evangelism. Hernan Cortez was not a great man but he sought to do something great. And perhaps to some extent or another, he thought himself to be doing something great for God. 
the mission of the church in the Middle Ages had so degenerated from that which Jesus gave to his disciples that 2,000 years ago, Jesus told his disciples, uh, the remaining 11 of them, go to Galilee and wait for me and I'll meet you there uh, upon a mountain. And in Matthew 28, verse 16, Jesus told the disciples that he would meet them there. And then he gave them what we call the Great Commission to go forth and spread the gospel of grace that, that sinners who are condemned to an eternal judgment could have all of their sins forgiven. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through our Lord Jesus Christ. Most likely, uh, Jesus met them upon a mountain that's there on the west side of the Sea of Galilee called Mount Arbel um, that rises some 1,250 feet above the Sea of Galilee. And from that place, Jesus told them, take this gospel of grace to the far ends of the earth. Disciple nations, baptize them, teach them to observe all things that I've commanded. And from that place on the top of that mountain, the disciples could look in every direction without any obstruction to their view, north, south, east, and west, and just imagine what it would be to set this kingdom gospel to spread these seeds of the gospel of grace far and wide from one end of the earth to the other. They could look to the west, but they could not even imagine what Cortez would encounter 1,500 years later. But you and I living in the year 2023 have a different perspective. We can look back and we can see that the kingdom of God indeed is great. And our king is great. And the spread of his kingdom to the very ends of the earth is great. In fact, it is spread all the way across the Atlantic Ocean and to this very place in which you are presently living. So from our text this morning, we take note of two things about the growth of the kingdom. First, it's growth in greatness, and secondly, it's growth in effect or impact. It's growth in greatness, unexpected and yet extensive. It's growth in effect and impact throughout the world, all-encompassing and yet gradual, incremental, step by step. So first, let's note a few things about is growth in greatness. Jesus uses the parable of the uh, mustard seed. A man took and sowed in his field this mustard seed, and Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is like that. And this is smaller, he says, 
than all other seeds, but when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants. It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. So what should the disciples think about as they begin this great kingdom work, as they begin to spread the kingdom gospel? What should the disciples expect with respect to the growth of this kingdom? Here our Lord brings forth another truth concerning this kingdom of heaven. It is, in a sense, a kingdom mystery to some extent set forth by our Lord that the kingdom of God, although it be the very kingdom of God Almighty, does not immediately and instantaneously overwhelm the world. You might think it would. After all, it is the very kingdom of God. And yet Jesus says, no, it doesn't spread that way in its greatness. It grows gradually, incrementally, until it becomes the greatest kingdom of all time. So in this parable, we understand the mustard seed represents the kingdom of heaven and um, the field or the garden in which this mustard seed is planted is the world. And here again, our Lord Jesus teaches us something about this kingdom of heaven and his growth. His growth is first surprisingly unexpected. It is very, very, very small, almost insignificant, and you wouldn't expect something very great to come from this thing that's very small. And yet, he tells us that even though it is smaller than all the other seeds, it grows into this mustard tree, which in a garden is gigantic, 15 feet. Mostly what you see in gardens are small little plants. But by comparison, here's a large tree uh, that comes from this tiniest of seeds. And this is the very point which our Lord is making and conveying to his disciples. It may look small, it may look insignificant, but it will surprise you. It begins insignificantly, but it grows to become a kingdom of great prominence and power. When it is full grown, it becomes a tree. And that's what you and I witness. This kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ in which we are a part and uh, of which we are ambassadors and which has come to this place has spread all over the entirety of this globe from one end of the earth to the other. Palestine, 2,000 years ago, our Lord planted his kingdom seed upon the earth. Eleven men were given this great commission, men of little consequence in the world's eyes, and yet it has spread from Israel to the far reaches of the earth. And its growth has been gradual, incremental, consistent for 20 centuries now. From Israel it moved north and also to the west, and many have come into the kingdom of God. It has moved south in the last several centuries, but there is more growth to come. It moved east, but the opposition there has been great, and there has not been much success in the east comparatively. Iran, Iraq, Pakistan, Afghanistan, India, Asia, Japan, Indonesia, China. Difficult soil to penetrate. It took 1,500 years in the providence of God 
for the gospel to come all the way across the Atlantic Ocean to North, Central, and South America. For 1,500 years after Jesus took his disciples up on Mount Arbel, Central and South and North America remained in deep black spiritual darkness and confusion in unbelief and paganism. And when it finally crossed the Atlantic Ocean 500 years ago or so, it was obscured by error and ceremony and tradition. Another writer comments about Cortez's interaction with the Aztecs and other Indian tribes when he says in his talks with the Zim Poalans, Cortez lectured them about the Christian faith. And they agreed to install an image of the Virgin Mary on the top of their main pyramid. In an amazing twist, three Zempoalan priests washed and cut their matted hair and were instructed by Cortez in some basic rituals for the Christian mother of God. Unbaptized devil worshipers, they may have been only hours before, but now they were men of the church. Cortez was nothing if not pragmatic. By way of contrast, when the gospel came to North America, it came from men who understand the gospel of grace, the free grace of God, by the preaching of the word of God, that men could have their sins wiped away could be cleansed and could be made new creatures as the grace of God was applied to them by the Holy Spirit. I think therein is the great difference that exists between the North American continent and Central and South America. It was the kind of gospel or no gospel versus the true gospel that was proclaimed. By way of contrast, the great Puritan John Eliot, who came from England to Massachusetts, when he encountered the Indians of Massachusetts, he tried to present the gospel to them. But of course, the great barrier was he did not know their language. So what did he do? He went about the process of learning their language. And John Eliot learned the Algonquin language, translated the Bible into the Algonquin language, and began a ministry of the gospel what he called praying Indians. He had like 30 or so groups of praying Indians to whom he proclaimed the gospel of grace. About 3,000 of them, one third of which professed faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Much progress has been made, but we need to foster the proclamation of the true gospel. Its growth is gradual, yet it is spreading village by village, town by town, country by country, continent by continent throughout the world. And Jesus wanted his disciples to know that the growth would not be immediately overwhelming so they would not be discouraged and not give up and keep on proclaiming the kingdom gospel of God's saving grace. You know, the World Series is not won by home runs. It's won by singles and doubles. 
just plunking away bit by bit, little bit after little bit after little bit after little bit. The world, the church doesn't need a thousand more David Livingston's and um, William Carey's. They're great home run hitters, exceptionally gifted. But who knows the thousands and thousands of faithful ministers of the gospel who carried this wonderful gospel of grace that sets the souls of men free from village to village to village all over the earth whose names shall never be known or printed in any great books of missiology. So the growth of the kingdom is surprising because it starts small, but it becomes great. And the growth of the kingdom is also extensive. And how great is this greatness? Although gradual, it will spread throughout the world to every tribe, tongue, and nation. The mustard seed becomes a tree so that the very birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Jesus refers to the birds in the Sermon on the Mount to illustrate how God cares for his creatures, how they find rest and food. He refers to the sparrows when seeking to illustrate how our Lord cares for us. So perhaps we get a better idea of what Jesus intends by this imagery of the birds resting in uh, the, 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 the limbs of this great gospel tree that develops from this gospel seed from Old Testament scriptures that Jesus himself would have known. When he speaks in Psalm 104 about the birds, besides them the birds of the heaven dwell. They lift up their voices among the branches. Or Ezekiel 17 verses 22 and following, on the high mountain of Israel I will plant it that it may bring forth boughs and bear fruit and become a stately cedar and birds of every kind will nest under it. They will nest in the shade of its branches. Or Ezekiel 31 verse 6, all the birds of the heaven nested in its boughs and under its branches all the beasts of the field gave birth and all great nations lived under its shade. Or Daniel 4 verse 12, its foliage was beautiful and its fruit abundant and it was food for all. The beasts, the field found shade under it and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches and all living creatures fed themselves from it. This is uh, obvious then that this reference to the birds is indicative of the growing greatness of God's kingdom and a reference to the, the majesty of this kingdom as it grows and the provision and the care and the blessing that it offers to all its subjects. Thus Jesus teaches us that his kingdom will become great in the earth. Daniel in his prophecy chapter 2 verse 44 says in the days of those kings I think referencing the Roman Caesars the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. 
And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms, but it will endure forever. So our Lord teaches his disciples and us that the kingdom that he plants in this world begins small but grows to heights of greatness. His growth is gradual, but it is pervasive in nature. It invaded this world and spread its branches all the way from Israel to this very place, to the uttermost parts of the earth. And it is now moving into the southern hemisphere with permeating power. Cortez brought a cross and candles and pictures of the Virgin and priest and ceremony and great confusion. We need now a new generation of missionaries. Perhaps some of you gathered here this morning, God will call to go into South America and Central America and bring the kingdom gospel of grace, unmerited favor purchased by Jesus at the cross of Calvary. May it be so. So the kingdom grows in greatness, but the kingdom also grows in its impact, in its effect in the world. So Jesus gives another parable, verse 33, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and hid in three picks of flour until it was all leaven. So here Jesus teaches another truth about his spreading kingdom as it is extensive in its outreach to every tribe and tongue and nation. It is also all-encompassing in its impact in the world. So its growth is all-encompassing. This is the uh, import of the illustration of leaven. You know, if you put yeast in a, 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 a ball of dough, the yeast eventually, gradually, permeates the entire uh, lump of dough until the whole lump of dough is leavened by the leaven. Leaven is not evil in this parable. Some people promote the idea that whenever you see the word leaven, it's always evil. It's a corrupting influence. But the point here is not that, evil, that leaven is evil because Jesus says the kingdom of God is like leaven. The point is how it acts, the impact it has on the on the, the, the dough, it, it impacts it completely and all-encompassingly. The meal becomes leavenized. So we understand that the leaven placed in the meal represents the kingdom of heaven that's been placed in this world. And just as the whole meal is leavenized, so the whole world is impacted by the kingdom of God. Its effect is profound in this world. Jesus is teaching that the impact of the kingdom of heaven upon uh, the earth is all-encompassing, that this yeast works in the dough until it is all affected by it, the pervasive influence of it. And once it's placed in the world, it continues to grow until it has this pervasive, permeating impact on every area of life. Now, there are many opinions uh, about what the impact of the kingdom of God is um, in the world. And there are many eschatological perspectives, and some are very pessimistic, and they say we shouldn't expect much impact at all. 
And uh, some are extremely optimistic, almost uh, utopian in their expectations. I don't embrace either one of those extremes. But it has been uh, traditionally in the history of reformed theologians and thinkers that we should expect that there will be great impact of the kingdom of God uh, throughout the earth. So I'll just give you a couple of examples of some thinkers that are sort of in our camp. One of them is Robert Louis Dabney, uh, the Southern Presbyterian theologian from Virginia in the 19th century. He remarks in his lectures on systematic theology, before the second advent, the following events must have occurred. The development of secu and secular overthrow of Antichrist, the proclamation of the gospel to all nations, and the general triumph of Christianity over all false religions in all nations. Now, I don't know exactly what that lo would look like, but that's much different than what you hear um, among those who are extremely pessimistic. The general triumph of the Christian faith in all nations uh, of the world. Matthew Henry, who precedes him, the famous uh, commentary series that many people use, also has a, a similar expectation. As the leaven is in the lump, what impact does it have? Gradual, incremental influence. This is what Matthew Henry says in his commentary on the Great Commission. What is the principal intention of this commission? To disciple all nations. Admit them disciples. Do your utmost to make the nations Christian nations. Not go to the nations and denounce the judgments of God against them as Jonah against Nineveh and as the other Old Testament prophets, though they had reason enough to expect it for their wickedness. But go and disciple them. Christ the mediator is setting up a kingdom in the world. Bring the nations to be his subjects. Setting up a school. Bring the nations to be his scholars. Raising an army for the carrying on of the war against the powers of darkness. Enlist the nations of the earth under his banner. The work which the apostles had to do was to set up the Christian religion in all places. It was honorable work. The achievements of the mighty heroes of the world were nothing to it. They conquered the nations for themselves and made them miserable. The apostles conquered them for Christ and made them happy. So you may have a different perspective, a different outlook, but that's the outlook of Dabney and Henry. How much progress has been made? Much. How much more will be made? We don't know. And when you assess the progress that's been made, you say, well, everything's just going terrible in the United States. It's all going backwards. Uh, it's all pessimism. Well, it's very difficult, isn't it, to put your finger on the pulse of the status of the church throughout the whole of the world. I don't you know, surmise that I can do it any better than anybody else. However, if the reference point with regard to the progress of the kingdom of God throughout the world is the giving of the Great Commission, if that's our reference point, 
And we go back to Mount Ar Arbel and we stand on the, Mount Arbel with Jesus and the 11 disciples who received the Great Commission. There was one little pin light shining down upon Jerusalem and the rest of the globe was engulfed in black darkness of unbelief and confusion. If that's your reference point, then great progress has been made. There is more light shining in this world today than ever has shown before. How much more progress? I don't know. But I know that the growth is sometimes very, very gradual and almost imperceptible. And sometimes it's growing in one place and it's waxing one place and waning in another. So here again we see the mystery of the kingdom is gradual growth. How does leaven work? It doesn't work instantaneously. You leave the, the lump of dough off on the on the counter and go do something else. You come back and it's three times as big as it was as the leaven does its work. Its growth is gradual, has been now over 20 centuries. Like leaven in a lump of dough, the kingdom of heaven is not instant. So there's still much work to be done we don't despair. It's yet growing. It came to Central and South America 500 years ago. It's now starting to bear fruit there in ways as never before. So in Honduras, where Aaron Halbert is, the stats, according to the sort of like the Bible on missions stat that gets published every year, is that Honduras has 23% evangelical believers. I don't know how to judge that, but there's more work to be done. In Haiti, supposedly 16% evangelical. In the Gordon Conwell study that we referenced last night, um, they say that the growth right now is fastest in the global south. Is shifting from North America and Europe to the South. The places where Christianity is growing the fastest, Africa, 2.77% growth, Asia, 1.5% growth. In 2000, the year 2000, 814 million Christians lived in Europe and North America, while 660 million Christians called Africa and Asia home. This year, this was 2022, 838 million live in glo the global north, while almost 1. billion live in Africa and Asia alone. It's shifted. In 1900, twice as many Christians lived in Europe than the rest of the world combined. Today, more Christians live in Africa than any other continent. They need to send missionaries here. We need them. By 2050, Africa will be home to almost 1.3 billion Christians, while Latin America, 
686 million and Asia 560 million will both have more than Europe and North America. 497 and 276. As Christianity continues to grow in the global south, it is also becoming less concentrated in highly Christian areas. In 1900, 95% of all Christians lived in a majority Christian country. In 2022, that number had fallen to 53.7%, 40 points. And by 2050, they project most Christians, about 50, a little over half, half around the world will live in non-majority Christian nations. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The kingdom continues to grow as we proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. God's free grace that grants forgiveness and eternal life through Jesus Christ the King. It grows in greatness, it grows in extent, it grows in impact incrementally, gradually. The first question you should ask yourself as we close is what impact has Christ's kingdom had on you personally, individually? Is Christ your king? And if you say, yes, he's my king, how is he your king? How does his sovereign lordship and kingship manifest itself in your life? And then in what ways are we promoting that gospel kingdom throughout the earth? I think God is using you here. Clearly he's using this local church to spread his kingdom. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, how we thank you for uh, planting your kingdom on this earth and how we have this benevolent and wonderful loving king who provides for us in his kingdom the Lord Jesus Christ Father would you continue to build your kingdom until your blessings are spread from one end of the earth to the other we pray in Jesus name